it's similar again to deep democracy where you have to argue against yourself but you're using technology which has got the collective knowledge of what's on the internet to go by and that's why i think it's such a great critical thinking tool to support boards Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. In this podcast, we learn from amazing people how to think better and build better organizations in our massively accelerating world. We explore what's possible, how to augment ourselves, and ultimately who we can become. In addition to the podcast, we share many resources on amplifying cognition and humans plus AI. And this week, I'd like to highlight our weekly Amplifying Cognition newsletter. We have recently redesigned this to include an in-practice session on practical tools and techniques, what's exciting in the humans plus AI space, top AI news, the latest podcast episode, and the link to a curated deep dive article. It's short, but I'm sure you'll find it very useful. To sign up, just go to amplifyingcognition.com. I think the topic of this week's podcast is particularly important. I've worked extensively with boards around the world to help them think better about the future, plan innovation, and improve their decision-making with AI. Boards are central of value creation for organizations. They necessarily need to focus on governance, but in our accelerating world, they need to adopt new mindsets and approaches to be able to keep pace with change. So in this episode, we talk with Paul Smith. Paul is the founder of Future Directors, which focuses on the future of boards and corporate governance. He speaks regularly around the world on the themes of board performance, inclusive decision-making, governance technology, and the concepts of the future director and future boardroom. And in this conversation, we talk about the future of boards, the structures for effective collective decision-making, deep democracy, and how that can be used by boards. AI in the boardroom, and far more. You can find out more about uh, Paul Smith's work at futuredirectors.com. Stay tuned for an excellent conversation on the future of boards. Paul, it's uh, wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for having me. So you help boards amplify their collective cognition. I gather that's a part of what you do. That's a part of what I do, yeah. So there's uh, working with boards directly, to help them make better decisions on behalf of all stakeholders. But us also, uh, my business Future Directors is developing and has got into the market a SaaS platform to help boards manage their board business, create more data insights and to educate and build capacity along the way as well. And that's all about accessibility. So it's taking the human need for the human to be part of that journey, the consultant or the trainer to be part of that journey. So this Frame that as cognition. So we have individual cognition, sort of taking information, make sense of it, uh, hopefully make some decisions. So a board is a particular set of individuals, you know, maybe whatever it is, eight, 10, 12, more, whatever it is. And, uh, and I think it's very useful to frame the cognition of a board in terms of the alignment, again, how it is they find relevant information, make sense of that, and to make decisions. So what are some of the approaches which which can help a set of individuals that uh, end up around a table to, um, to make better sense of the world and move towards better decisions? Yeah, like a, it's such a great question. And, you know, to think of the board as a collective unit is, is so important as a collective decision-making unit. That's what they're there to do. They're there to guide 
and steward a company or organization or institution forward. Um, most boards range from a few people through to, as you said, much larger numbers. Some boards are 20 plus. Um, the optimum sweet spot is in that high single figures to make sure you've got enough cognitive variance. Um, I think the other thing to say to give context to people listening to this around the boardroom is that most boards are not together all the time. They meet periodically. That's the nature of a board. They might meet once a month or once a quarter uh, or whatever it happens to be. And, uh, and they are charged with making decisions at the higher end of a business. So the governance end of the business, strategic side of things, the risk management, long-term decision-making as opposed to the operational day-to-day. So really, there's two parts to this which are really important. One is the information they receive. Most boards are responsive to the information they receive from management or executive, depending on what you call it. And the conduit for that is the CEO. Um, And their responsibility is to ensure that they're getting the right level of information in order for them to make those decisions. But most boards tend to delegate that responsibility outwards. The best boards seek out their own information as well, both individually and collectively, to supplement um, not only the information they're receiving from the internal teams, but also their own arguments and opinions when it comes to debating and discussing a particular decision. The second part of that is the culture of the board itself. What is a decision-making culture? Many boards are quite autocratic or what may be hippo, which is the, you know, the, the highest paid, loudest person type of thing, right? But the most, the, the most effective boards understand the balance for ensuring that you hear as many voices as possible, but make sure they're relevant voices. So it's not the case of everybody has a say, but everybody has a chance to say if they've got value to add. So information coming in, but also what is the culture of the board to actually help them to make the most, I wouldn't say best decision, because you can make decisions based on information at hand and we live in this VUCA world. So it's probably the most robust and resilient decision possible. Yes. So as you pointed out, the the CEO or executive are a source or filter of the information about the organization. But of course, decisions at a board level are made about within the context of the business environment and the social environment, everything which is a technological environment, all of the external world. So some of that, again, can be supported by what is provided by the organization itself. But there is then a responsibility, of course, for the boards to to understand the context, to be current. And I suppose that can be done both you know, individually, as, as in just, well, let's just go out and be informed. But there's also, I suppose, are there ways or what are are useful ways in which boards can collectively find external information or input which can shape their thinking? Yeah, and, you know, boards are still very much in the traditional camp of using advisors, consultants. Um, They have various structures. For example, uh, most uh, companies and organizations of a certain size will have what's called subcommittees. So these would be specialist groups made off of board members, employees, and increasingly third-party specialists who you delegate thinking to decisions to, uh, they, they play a sort of a semi-advisory operational, but for the board. So it's not like day-to-day company operations, but board operations that you will delegate certain parts of responsibility to, to bring up those recommendations to the board. So delegation of responsibility is one of those tools that boards do because they do meet so infrequently, they can't do everything 
the everything. So they delegate a lot of this stuff outwardly, but it's still, when you use that word responsibility, it's still their responsibility legally, as well as, uh, I suppose, morally to seek out what they should do. So, and in the board world, whilst you have these mechanisms, it's still very much independent, individually led because the majority of boards, the directors are what's called non-executive. So not employees of the business and they may be independent, which means they have no financial stake as well. They may get paid or it might be unpaid, but essentially they are independent. So a lot of the work they have to go out and do individually. So the collective side is bringing in external specialisms either directly to work with the board to upskill them or to teach them something or to delegate that through to a committee or the executive. Um, however, the more technically savvy boards out there, uh, technologically savvy boards out there, uh, and unfortunately, boards are laggards when it comes to technology. Um, uh, and there's a number of reasons we could get into that, but I don't want to become ageist. Um, it, you know, they are starting to utilize technology to support not just their information gathering, but also their creative thinking, their decision-making thinking. But there's also some other techniques, human-based techniques, which are steeped in neuroscience and behavioral science, which can be used to elevate their cognitive ability of the group as well. Well, there's one in particular which I like called Deep Democracy, which is what I teach. Um, so it's really used for when a group, in this case the board, are stuck. Um, and that's because a lot of the wisdom of the group or the views are hidden below the surface. I'm sure you understand, you're, you're aware of the iceberg analogy where what is, vis what is known is only a small proportion of what's really there. So hidden agendas, outside influences, whatever it happens to be. So what deep democracy does, it works with groups who are maybe, maybe stuck making decisions. I'll give you an example of one I worked on last year, which was the board couldn't decide whether to fire the CEO um, based on their performance. And they were stuck because there were supporters of the CEO, there's people who said, we have to move on, we need some fresh blood. And they were stuck in a decision and it was, it was a, there was a majority and a minority, but they couldn't reach a general consensus of how to move forward. And so I was brought in to support this decision making. And the way that deep democracy works is it, it, um, it's actually run like a debate, but you get to debate yourself. So it's all designed to raise the EQ in the room by have you play your own devil's advocate. Uh, because what usually happens in any decision making structure is some people will be loud and opinionated, others will be quiet. Some people will be entrenched in their view with an ideology or a dogma and other people will variance, other people. So everybody plays a role and the more a group stays together, the more they role play. So what this does, it tries to take that sense of I have a position out of it. So you start with the statement and then every single person has the equal amount of time to argue for and against that statement. And you have to come up with reasons which are true for you. So even if you're on one side to start with, you actually have to think of arguments against yourself. And what that does is it sort of semi-tricks the brain into going, oh, actually, that's what that person said. It sort of makes sense because I have to, I can't, I'm not filtering it through what I think about that person. There's no filter. It's just me now. So what it does is you go around and it's all very contrived and staged. And it works. It's a bit uncomfortable to start with, but everybody gets equal amount of time to be heard. And you keep going until you've exhausted all the views. So all the iceberg is out as much as possible. And then you see what that's, how that's impacted people's viewpoints. 
And this is not about creating consensus in terms of everybody agrees. It's making sure that we have enough buy-in to a decision because everybody's been heard. And so even if you get to a point where there's a majority-minority, then you go to the minority of a decision based on the rules of the group and you say, look, we're really sorry that your position isn't the one is up. What would it take for you to come on this journey? So you almost come up with an agreement that, again, it's not 100%, but it's enough to move people forward. Now, where that doesn't work is where there's real big personality problems and they just cannot agree, not because of the facts presented to them, just because of the ideology. So you might say US political side of things, you know, there's, there's no way some of them can agree just on ideology grounds. But within most boardrooms, their job is to try and make the best decision they can. So once they can get over the hurdle of having to play a role or a different type of role, it's really, really powerful. That sounds fantastic, actually. And I think it's, it's really, there's ways in which you could apply that conceivably to, your, to an individual thinking. Yes. If you yeah. go through that process yourself and think that through sort of what are the issues at stake and to argue them to yourselves. I mean, it's a little harder to do it for yourselves, but I certainly can see that. Couples therapy, like I've, I, I haven't done this because I'm not a therapist, but um, I've told people who I've taught this to boardrooms, leadership groups, large groups, um, at a conference, for example, some have come up to me afterwards. And, I'm going to use this with my partner. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so, so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I wanted to dive into, but I mean, that that sounds really powerful. I really like that as as a tool to amplify collective con- cognition, uh, sense making. And and I, you know, there's obviously analog there with red teaming, where you know, if you have some kind of a decision and you get a red team to argue that case and you know, maybe a few variations on that. Are there any, any other similar techniques or approaches or structures um, you'd uh, highlight? There's not, not, ones, not ones that I would particularly use, uh, you know, directly because I think they're very much consensus building. And I, I, in the boardroom, I tend to try and steer people away from absolute consensus because it can be a race to the bottom. But increasingly, um, from a technology perspective, uh, there's, there's AI is uh, generative AI is a really powerful creative decision making tool. As you and I both know, and hopefully more and more people are learning, it's not a fact based tool. It's not a fact checking based tool as yet. But as a creative supporter, as another voice in the room to stress test your ideas with the right bit of information, that's what I'm starting to work with some boards on now is how can we dip our toes into the water of um, utilizing AI, generative AI inside the boardroom to support our decision making. Uh, and that's like, for example, giving it a huge amount of context around a decision and then seeing what it comes up with. And it's just another voice in the room. Um, but not one that has any ego attached to it. So, for example, you might in a particular context get an opinion from the generative AI or give, uh, get it to offer additional perspectives? I mean, how specifically might you-, you could say, you know, you could ask it, well, this, is what, this is the thing we're dealing with right now, here's the context, and you, you, know, you, you know with the generative AI, the more context you give it, the better. Um, so the context around your operating environment, Uh, the decision needs to be made, uh, what inputs are coming in, and you can ask it for what what approach would you take to help us make this decision? What information would you seek out? And then it might present you with things you haven't thought of. 
if you think about the collective intelligence of, of any group, there's always going to be gaps. So what AI can do is try and help you fill those gaps. Um, and then what I always love to say is like, what's I always uh, in the iterative process with Gen AI is I always like to say, what have I, what have you not even thought of yet? What have you not told us yet? Like, what's your craziest idea? And just see what comes out. And again, because it's done instant, almost instantaneously, it's not burning up time. It's actually just providing you with, uh, for one, assurance. If you've done everything, it sort of comes up with. But if there's something that you think, oh, that's a good idea. And then you can delve deeper into that either with AI or by yourself through one of your other avenues. So for example, as you say, there's a few different, I mean, I'm interested in the, the points. So one that I think is really interesting is that what other information might be useful. So I suppose that's, yeah, framing that. And another could be around, you know, option generation. Another could be around, I think another could be around, you know, challenges to ideas. I mean, are there any particular specific points in the, that overall deliberation and decision process that uh, if you think are particularly fruitful? Yeah, I think anything which um, presents a counter view. So um, if, uh, for example, a group is agreeing with each other you almost unanimously too easily, then using that as a, to create a counter view, why wouldn't we do this? Or, you know, why shouldn't we make this decision? Come up with reasons against it's similar again to deep democracy where you have to argue against yourself, but you're using technology, which has got the collective knowledge of what's on the internet up to a certain point uh, to go by. And that's why I think it's such a great critical thinking tool to support boards. That's, that's a, and I suppose another interesting frame around that is, as you suggested earlier, you want cognitive diversity in a board, if uh, a bit of a problem if you don't. <laughs> and so, uh, Autocratic boards don't, that's for sure. <laughs> But if you do have um, whatever the diversity you do have, you can always complement that. You know, there are always additional perspectives. You know, when you've got any limited number of people, then you can always bring that to bear. So, and I suppose it is whatever views are expressed, just be able to add others, another or other viewpoints that can be thrown into the mix. Yeah. And look, you know, it's not foolproof. None of this deep democracy as a technique is not foolproof because it's completely depend on how it's facilitated, who's in the room, their personalities, their starting point. And AI is not foolproof because it's completely down to the who's inputting the prompts um, and making sure that, you know, how you're interpreting the response is as unfiltered as possible. So you've still got what is the number one problem that we deal with in the boardroom, which is the people problem. You've still got the issue of humanity in itself, but at the end of the day, all you're trying to do is augment our own abilities and the best groups, the best decision-making groups will be the ones who have that level of self-awareness or self-governance, who are aware of their biases, are aware of their limitations, and they openly seek ways to limit the impact of those. Yeah, you can't, there's only so much you can do with dysfunctional people. Yes, that's true, exactly <laughs> true. And boards can be very dysfunctional. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. <laughs> Uh, yes, I've, well, I've, yeah. I've got some tales of my own. <laughs> Every board. If you haven't got some tales, then I'll be worried. <laughs> Taking a very quick break, this podcast is just one facet of our work to amplify human cognition. If you're interested in thinking better in a world of overload, using AI to augment yourself, finding like-minded thinkers, or improving your organization's performance, 
just go to amplifyingcognition.com. You'll find a wealth of free resources and useful tools. Now, back to the show. So, I mean, I know that it would be incredibly diverse, but I mean, how have any directors uh, responded to introducing generative AI into uh, the process? Usually to start with wide-eyed deer in the headlights. Um, to start with, it's like they hadn't even realized this was a thing. I remember um, about six months ago, so sort of when uh, ChatGPT was really becoming a house, you know, household name as it is, um, uh, I was doing a talk at a governance conference in the States and I did a workshop on the use of AI in the boardroom. Because at the time, any, any, in my space, most people were talking about boards introducing AI policies for their company. It wasn't about AI in the boardroom. It was about, okay, how do we manage or govern the usage of AI from employees all the way through to say school students? And that is the responsibility of the board. And if I may go down a little side avenue, still to this day, so few boards have actually introduced AI policies for their companies. Um, so people may be using AI without any guidelines at all on how that's being used. So if you're listening and you sit on a board and you haven't got an AI policy right now, get onto it. Uh, and future directors can help because we've got templates. But um, I was doing this talk and you know we were talking. I was talking to people who are in the governance p- uh, profession. So they were consultants working with boards. They were board directors. They were board chairs across a wide spectrum, several hundred of them. And you know, in the room, only a handful had even played with it yet. Uh, and so when I was showing what it could do, and as I said, this was sort of six months ago. So obviously things have moved on since then, as they have, as they do in this world. It was just, wow, I didn't even know it could do that. And I was doing some basic stuff to start with. I had to tail it back because when I sort of prepped for this, they were going, yeah, just assume we're just all absolute beginners. So just when they, they, their response was phenomenal um, in terms of this is amazing, but it was almost overwhelming for them as well because they're dealing with so much other stuff at the same time. Like the role of a board and board directors has become so complex now with different stakeholders, um, different demands on your time, and they do have limited time. Whilst this is essentially for me a time-saving device to a certain degree and a critical thinking device, it's another thing for them to learn. And boards are still trying to catch up, individuals trying to learn something. So as a case of just small iterative changes, the problem with AI is it's moving on so fast. Anything they learn now is almost defunct later on. So I focus most of their attention on how to work with it from a prompting perspective, because I think that's the stuff that's not changing, is how we prompt it, how we give it context. And if you think about what board's job is, it's to think critically. We're trained from our brain. So let's use that bit to give it the right prompts to circulate. I think the biggest concern for most of them was privacy concerns, but I just said, don't pump any proprietary data in there. It's not a fact. It's not, and also they thought they could just use it like Google to search for facts. Um, and so we were, we were steering. It was, so a lot of it was education, but then it was moving forward out. But again, ever since then, the response has been amazing, but it's also been, wow, this is too far for me. I'm still here. I need that to go there. I need to go a long way. And I think that's because, and I will say this now, the average age of a board around the world is about 60. So you don't have people who've grown up with technology in the room. So when technology comes along, this is why board portal technology software is such a slow uptake. You also don't have anybody who's leading it 
who's the one who's in charge of this technology? Is it the chair? Is it the company secretary? Is it the executive? So no one's taking real responsibility for it. And that's the case with all technology inside the boardroom. So until we see, I think, a generational shift happen or an educational shift or a mindset shift happen, boards are going to be laggards when it comes to any type of technology. And it's not a case of ramming it down their throat and say, if we don't catch up, you'll be left behind. In their mind, it's, well, we still do our job. Our job is to oversee, not to do the doing. So there's a cognitive, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there's a disconnect, cognitive disconnect between the power these tools have and actually starting to use them. Yeah, well, I mean, as we've already, as we've seen for a long time, there'll be a continue to be a divergence between those who are uh, early adopters and laggards. So, another related topic is, um, you know, I distinguish between what you know, I describe as analytic AI and, gen and generative AI. So, analytic AI being, you know, a lot of it related to machine learning, and a lot of the you know pre-generative AI techniques, which are obviously extraordinarily valuable. Uh, both in implementation, but also in decision-making in the sense of being able to pick out emergent trends, uh, particularly within uh, internal organizational uh, data, uh, possibly external trends and so on. So one, one of the key issues there, of course, how is that data presented? So you've got your uh, your business intelligence people that come up and hopefully they present these nice charts or, or, or long printouts, whatever. And so... so just, I mean, it's a massive topic, but just briefly, I mean, is there any insights into how we can essentially take the power of big data analyzed appropriately, which in a way which actually does usefully inform group decisions? Well, the simple answer is yes, if you've got the right people, the right business intelligence people who are who know how to use these tools effectively. You're quite right though, like right at the beginning of our episode, I was talking about how this information is presented. Um, you're quite right. And that's the other part of the boardroom because you have those diverse boardrooms, not, ev not everybody absorbs information the same way. Some people are very visual, some audio, some are written. And so, but usually information presented is a one size fits all approach. Um, so I think, when it comes to sort of, I suppose, the boardroom, we're not expecting them to use these tools, but we're them to there to interpret the data. But this is where I think the delegation comes through, is that you are relying on them to give you the answer or the scenarios that they've done the work to get you to a point of going, right, our job is to stress test what you've told us because our collective wisdom um, in terms of new ideas or different cycles, we should be able to see all the potential pitfalls or things that will stop this from happening, uh, regardless of where the information has been brought from, you know, or where, how it's been developed, rather than to create the strategy in its first sense. So their job is to go, is to pull it apart as much as they possibly can. And then the response of the business and analyst is to go, okay, this is my response to your query, as it were. Um, that's how it best works. That's how the boardroom best works. Now they can use their own tools to help pull things apart, but that's really where they add value, if that makes sense. So it's very much that yeah. hu that human critical thinking element 
rather than utilizing that stuff. That's definitely an operational level using those sort of analytical AI tools. I would never see a boardroom at this point going near those. <laughs> be too much. What, what, I, what I would love to see happen with this technology is a way in which this information could be presented in ways which are per, semi-personalized to the board members. I've seen yes. such diverse groups, some who have ADHD and they, the way they absorb information is absolutely diametrically opposed to somebody else. Um, and yet, as I said, everything's presented in the same way. Um, I would love to see it whereby some sort of, you know, inputs are put in to allow board, especially using technology with more and more uh, board papers, for example, which are the information packs uh, being presented from through technology as opposed to the old school printed packs, which I still some do that, like printed out folders of information for each board pay people. I think having those personalized in some way would be a real step up for the, the intelligence, the collective, what we call BQ board intelligence of the group. Well, it's, as in thriving on overload, a lot of when I look at is how, you know, cognitive styles and how we take in information and, you know, big believer that we, you know, we can't certainly not one size fits all for how we take in information and that can be very much tailored. So your, uh, your organization is called Future Directors. Uh, and so let's go into the future and looking at the potential. What is the potential? of the future board. I mean, let's, let's, uh, let's imagine and a real, uh, you know, what a future board could be amplified by technology. I mean, let's, you know, let's imagine we've got we're finding the right, well, part of it may be finding how it is we find and assess and bring together right people. What does the, you know, what, how do they interact? How do we get a better future board than we have today? Look, I think, you know, um, technology augmented boards, uh, you know, let's assume that over the next 20, 30 years will still be human boards. Um, we're not going to see sort of, you know, super intelligent AI taking over. Let's just assume that and boards are still relevant in that respect. I think the level, the level of decision making they'll be doing will be elevated. They'll certainly be using technology to support their decision making as we've talked about. And that's only going to get easier. Allow, and I think what we'll start seeing, though, is boards meeting not on by schedule, but by design. So because the world's moving too fast, the technology will be presenting information so quickly, boards will get together to make critical decisions and have time to absorb that information. I actually think the power of technology is going to be in the monitoring and the learning element of how decisions were made how people interacted with each other's. And I think this is where AI will be able to play a role of um, observing in some way, let's say observing and playing back uh, how the group worked, how the decision was made, stress testing the, the after effects and actually measuring the performance of a board. Um, I'll take you back six years to the same conference uh, I did six months ago in the States when I first presented the future of the boardroom. And this is before any of this gen AI stuff was coming out. And um, I was talking about how AI may, if we're all plugged in, I was, I went on stage wearing one of those Muse headbands that monitors brainwave patterns. And I was working with a group at the time and I was demonstrating how my brainwaves are working and 
how the majority of us are in beta, which is that fight, flight, freeze response, and we're masking it with coffee and all that sort of side of things. But we want to be in alpha focus and theta and those ones from a creative, intuitive element. And you can actually starting to measure the cognitive ability of an individual at any one time. So if they're really tired, they might be operating at a low, low level. And I was supposing that board members would be plugged in and be monitored. If you were not operating at a certain level, you would be excluded from decision-making. So you had to be able, literally in that meeting. So you'd have to learn breathing techniques, meditation, all the things to actually raise your cognitive level. But some people come into the room, take, for, take a spurious example, but hangry. Imagine coming into the room feeling so hungry that you're just unable to focus. And yet you're expected to contribute to multi-billion dollar decisions or decision affecting hundreds of thousands of lives, but you could be distracted. So I think this is where technology, this, this scared the bejesus out of everybody in the room, by the way, which is, which is most, of the fun, most of the fun. Uh, and everybody thought it was like Terminator, you know, gone crazy type of stuff. But they could get the idea of what I was trying to get across is their duty, their legal duty is to turn up at their very best because they're being recruited for their brain. They're no different to an athlete on race day or game day. You know, body, mind has to be in tune. So why is it any different for the boardroom? And you get found out. You know, you don't qualify. You don't win the game. Why not different for the boardroom? And they, they're utilizing technology more and more and more and coaches more and more and more to ensure that on game day or race day, they are at their peak. Why not this? What I was trying to get across is why not the same for a boardroom that are tasked and legally responsible for that level of uh, decision making. And I think the the stick and the carrot for this sort of thing will be stakeholders. So the owners, the shareholders, employees. The more boards become transparent, and it's only really in the last ten years through shareholder act activism that we've seen people take the board on and actually start to see them as something that they can have a look inside of as opposed to this, you know, top floor behind closed door secret decision-making group. The more we see transparency, the more they're held accountable by external internal stakeholders, the more they'll have to do to prove that they're doing everything they possibly can to work and work at their best. Now, I'm not saying this is all good. I'm just saying that's where it's heading. I think technology is going to both support them, but also uh, work, work to stretch them as well. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> we can hope that, you know, some of those elements, I think some few really important elements there. And the thing is, you know, I, I always, you know, wonder at how dysfunctional a lot of boards are. I mean, not all of them, but uh, there, so there's, I think, part of it, as you say, is expectations, transparency. But uh, if there is this focus, and I think what you just were saying really brings us out on the fact that they do need to have outstanding cognition individually and collectively, you know, these are critical uh, decisions and critical uh, roles that, you know, so if we talk, start talking the language of amplifying cognition of boards or whatever language you use around, I think that's, that's a fantastic um, step forward from where we are in any case. So Paul, where can people find out more about your uh, work? Uh, so futuredirectors.com, they can see what we do as a business. And then if you just um, Google 
or uh, Future Paul Smith or go onto LinkedIn and do Future Paul Smith. My name, Paul Smith, is quite common. So uh, add the word future in there and you will find me and you can connect with me, follow me, see some of my work as well as the work of future directors. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your uh, time and your insights, Paul. Thanks, Ross. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to dive deeper, access free downloads in our newsletter and discover useful tools, go to amplifyingcognition.com. Did you enjoy this episode? Please support us by taking 30 seconds to give us a rating or a one-sentence review. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.